I'm Rechard van der Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 200 for the weekend starting 8 December 2017. You heard right, 200 episodes. I can't believe it. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central, real technology journalism. On Talk Central this week, the EOH debacle. Also this week, the, um, the multi-choice, multi-choice under fire, the electronic communications amendment bill gets skewered, Qualcomm gets into the PC business, and our picks of 2017. It's Friday, it's almost the end of the year, and that means it's time to talk tech and drink beer. Welcome to the podcast. How's it, Richard? How's it, Duncan? So, yes, we are indeed drinking beer today. Cheers. Cheers. Episode 200. Uh, it's quite, an, quite a milestone, I think. It is a milestone. And, and uh, yeah, it's, what a journey it's been so far. What some amazing conversations we've had on the show. For sure. And we, don't, we, don't, uh, we, we did drink beer on the podcast for, for a while, but yeah, we, don't, we don't anymore. But today, special occasion, and we are having Agar's Breweries. Warrior Double IPA. Yeah, and in my opinion, probably one of the best, probably the best IPA slash double IPA in the country. It is very good. If you haven't had it. What exactly is a double IPA? It's an IPA that's just stronger, better, more hops, and that essentially means more alcohol. Hmm. So, you know, when you put hops into a beer, it gives that nice fruity bitterness to it. Also, you know, it it, it also kind of determines some of the, the alcoholic strength in there. And a double IPA is just... Let's let's up the game, guys, and how can we make this a better beer? And that's yeah. that's basically what a double IPA is. Oh, it's lovely, lovely stuff. It's quite citrusy. It is citrusy, very mm. fruity. Yeah, that, mm. that comes out, uh, you know, the hop, the type of hops they use you know, usually brings out that uh, fruitiness yeah. or that grape fruitiness uh, flavor. Well, here's to episode 200, and uh, it's almost the end of the year, as you said at the beginning, Rechot, um, and it's uh, it's been a, quite a year, and it's been a busy news week. Sure, things are not quietening down. I'm hoping from next week things will get a little less manic, and uh, I can actually start to catch up on all those hundreds of emails I have flagged up in my <laughs> inbox. I don't think anything's going to quiet down towards the end of this year. I mean, yeah. by all indications so far, it's going to be a straight through Crazy. one. Maybe yeah. take a day or two off for Christmas, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it always starts slowly in the new year, though. I found that it's people are working later and later, right up mm. to like 22nd, yeah. even yeah. 23rd of December. And then January is dead for the first two weeks. And I think we're going to have a repeat of that this Probably year. Probably the same, yeah. Mm. yeah. So before we uh, get into the news and before we even do our quiz, uh, there's something very important uh, that has to be debated. It was announced this week, or there was news published, speculation published this week, that the next Star Trek movie is going to be directed by none other than Quentin Tarantino. What? What do you say? I can insert a whole bunch of expletives here, but we won't do that on the show. <laughs> As I said on, uh, yeah, because I'll have to spend the whole afternoon editing, <laughs> editing, editing them out. <laughs> but um, imagine uh, Samuel L. Jackson as captain yeah. of the Enterprise. Yeah, there's no snakes in this Enterprise. <laughs> Say what one more time, Klingon. (laughs) (laughs) Klingon, do you speak it? (laughs) The memes are going to be fantastic. It will be fantastic. But um, yeah, I could also see it working. Mm. I can also see it working. I love Quentin Tarantino's movies, and uh, I'm a huge fan of the Star Trek Enterprise. Merge the two of them. I mean, certainly this will be the first um, non-PG Star Trek ever made. R-rated, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, But it could be good. It could be good if it happens. I mean, this is just speculation at this Mm. point. Um, but of course, J.J. Abrams has gone off to do um, Star Wars, um, and which I also look forward to. I think yeah. I'm a, 
You're you know, right. I'm a, I'm a like Star Wars fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently got into the Star Trek series on Netflix, which I think is absolutely superb. I've actually stopped watching it because we're so busy watching Bates Motel that I, I just haven't had a chance to watch. But, um, but it's actually a good thing because you want to w- watch two or three of them after each other. Yeah, that's so true. waiting for a week to watch each episode is, yeah. doesn't really work. Yeah. In my opinion. I've also been watching Rick and Morty after you, Rick and Morty. Oh, yes. <laughs> what a show. It's what the possibilities you have with the infinite number of universes. <laughs> but yeah, Quentin Tarantino, Star Trek, I like that combination. Um, and there, yeah, then he must get. Uh, if he does it, Samuel L. Jackson has to be there. Yeah, yeah, and we want to, yeah, we want to see dirty language. That's what I want out of Star Trek. Dirty language. Yeah, dirty language. <laughs> see if we can break the previous records for using the F word. <laughs> I don't think they've ever used the F word in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but they also haven't uh, used uh, Quentin Tarantino to direct it. So we that's true. We can, we, yeah, we don't know. We that's don't true. Know. It'll it'll certainly be the bloodiest Star Trek ever. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure the special effects would would uh, they'll introduce a few new yeah. interesting things. Yeah. But I think the franchise like that. I mean, you want to stay true to the form, I guess. But you also you you also need to take it a step out of his comfort zone. And yeah. you know, you can put it back if it doesn't work. But mm. you know, we've seen it before with previous yeah. iterations. I hope you're ready for all the uh, very lengthy monologues on the <laughs> <laughs> well, on the bridge. Good monologues. I mean, yeah. his, his dialogue in his movies are usually spot yes. on. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. hope it's not all in Klingon. <laughs> 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 that might be a bit too much. Yeah, I'm sure it won't. Be. All right, let's do our quiz. Do you want to do the first question? Certainly. Um, the first question this week's quiz: Qualcomm this week took the wraps off its new hand processor for smartphones, which includes AI functionality. What is this processor called? Uh, interested parties have been given a new deadline to comment on the contentious Electronic Communications Amendment Bill. What is the new deadline? The third question. Which U.S. law firm is threatening to launch a probe into multi-choices con- controversial channel supply agreement with ANN7? What does Elon Musk plan to launch with the first test of the Falcon Heavy rocket next month? And for a bonus point, what music will be playing on board? <laughs> I absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. <laughs> and the final question. Travel Start this week brought which Cape Town-based online travel company? That's our quiz. As always, we'll get to the answers at the end of the show. Um, before we get into our quiz, we've been doing a lot of podcasts over the last week um, on other platforms, not Talk Central. Um, Rechot, you did a very interesting interview with the local MD or GM for yes. Lenovo. Yes. Where you spoke about 25 years of ThinkPad, amongst many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was amazed, uh, actually, when I posted that story on Tech Central, I pulled up a picture of the original ThinkPad for, to go with that podcast. A and big, yeah, clunky brick. It really, it really was. <laughs> it was amazing at the time. But today it, was, it looks it was. very I mean, We were proud to carry those big, clunky notebooks around. I mean, mm. design was secondary to functionality and that one-hour battery life that mm. you used to get with them. Mm. But, uh, yeah, go have a listen to that podcast if you've, you've ever owned a ThinkPad. Uh, it's an interesting discussion. Yeah. Uh, I had a very fascinating discussion this week with Brandon Becker. Now, he's the MD, the regional MD for Mimecast. Uh, mm. Have you spoken to the Mimecast guys in the past? They're, uh, Many years ago, yeah. They're an interesting company, South African-founded but listed on the NASDAQ. They have a market cap of over 20 billion rand. They focus on email security. Uh, and they're they're expanding in the UK. They started in the UK actually. They then expanded in South Africa, the US. They were moving into continental Europe, uh, Asia, Australia, etc. And uh, if they were listed on the JSE today, they would um, they would be by far the biggest uh, IT company on the JSE. Wow! Um, currently, four times the size of EOH. Um, That's incredible. I didn't know that they were that massive. Yeah, no, they've grown a lot. Their share prices has really ramped up since they listed in, on the Nasdaq two years ago. Big company. Um, 
And doing very well, and founded by two two South Africans. South African, mm. yeah. We're getting to places, don't we? Yeah, indeed. And then I had a really interesting discussion with Satumo Mohapi, who is the CEO of CETA, State IT Agency. Mm. Hell of a nice guy. Uh, he used to be at Centec. Uh, oh, he, yeah. He really loved the Centec job, and I think he was a bit disappointed when he was shuffled out into CETA, which was a morass mm. of mm, corruption and incompetence. Anyway, he's uh, been in the job for a while now and he's um, he's been very quiet, but I uh, had a podcast with him this week and he's been uh, kicking butt there uh, and he's been cleaning out the mess and the corruption and all the rest of it. Um, and um, it's, it's quite nasty. He's had uh, death threats against him. Uh, there was enormous cor- corruption in the organization. Um, but Satuma's a good guy. He's, um, he's uh, you know, he's not taking any nonsense. Um, it must be very, must be incredibly difficult to go into an inf- a snake's nest like that and start yeah. to clean it up. But he's doing it, and um, you know he's been threatened. Um, you know he's it's getting getting in the way of the criminals, but he's cleaning it up. And, and kudos to him. Um, we, had, we had a range, broad talk about um, you know the the corruption problems inside the organisation, the threats against him, um, how he's been cleaning up, firing people, um, just cleaning up the mess basically. And, uh, yeah, he's doing a good job by all accounts. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, these are the unsung heroes of yeah. South Africa. I mean, the guys that are standing their ground. I yes. mean, how, how, many, how many people would be able to take that position and live through that type of day-to-day? Oh, yeah. It must be action. awful. It must be awful. I mean, no, he, no, yeah, I mean he, he loved his job at Centec. Um, I mean, he, he probably could have worked at Centec for decades, and, yeah. uh, and he was redeployed into this position. Um, but uh, kudos to him. He didn't look at this and leave or look at this and just wash his hands of it. He said, this thing's a stinking mess. Uh, I'm going to clean it up. And that's what he's doing. So we'll be watching watching his, um, watching his developments at CETA with a great deal of interest. So quite a few podcasts this week. I also did a podcast with the MD of Baldwin Fiber. Um, they're part of the Baldwin Property Group. Uh, you'll have seen their townhouse complexes going up yes. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they formed a new fiber to the home unit, specifically to roll out fiber into Baldwin uh, property developments. Um, it was an interesting discussion as well. So that was with a guy called Andre. Um, Andre, I've forgotten his surname. Um, <laughs> but uh, go have a listen to that. Um, I don't know why I forgot. Pillay, Andre Pillay. Um, it's an interesting discussion, particularly if you're interested in that, in that fiber, fiber to the home market and, and what's happening there. So let's get into the week's news and uh, my word, uh, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> let's just pick the, the, the top story. The top story. Well, it's hard to pick the top story. <laughs> let's start with EOH because it's very current. Yeah. Um, absolute spectacular disaster in its share price this week. So on Wednesday, the share price fell by 11%. There was no indication about why it had fallen. And, and you just spotted this on the, your, your I just saw share the tracking. Yeah, I just saw it in the markets. It's one of the companies I track. There was quite a lot of talk on Twitter about why the share price was falling. Anyway, it fell 11%. The share price has come down a lot this year already. And um, so the talk, you know, I, I just thought, you know, okay, it's come off 11%. That's a big fall, but it's been falling anyway and it, you know no investors are obviously nervous about slowing growth and all that sort of thing um so i ignored it and then the next day the share price plunged at one point by 45 percent wow uh, before closing down 35 percent in one session um and uh i spoke to a range of analysts during the course of the day about it and they they also said oh, we don't know what's going on here this doesn't make sense this thing shouldn't be falling it's a fundamental fundamentally a good business mm. so somebody's doing something and they're knowing something 
Yeah, so um, I chatted to David Shapiro, the well-known stockbroker on, on Twitter about it, and he, and he, he said, um, you know, someone's obviously got some inside information here. But the more I dug, the more I dug, I eventually found out that um, there was a piece published in the Daily Maverick on Wednesday about um, a guy called Keith Keating and some businesses he owns, specifically one called FCA or FDA, I think, Forensic Data Analysis. Now, this is a company that EOH bought back in 2015. They bought three companies owned or, or run by Keith Keating. And um, they, well, they sold those businesses, but or they unwound that, those, that transaction, but let's get to that a bit later. So um, keep, these businesses are involved in, or, or caught up in an investigation, and I recommend going to read the story on the Daily Maverick if you want more detail. Okay. Um, but um, there, there's, a, there's a parliamentary probe by SCOPA, this, the, the um, what's it stand for again? The... Committee on Public Standing Committee on Public Accounts, um, and they're doing an investigation into the SAPS and dodgy dealings involving CETA and and uh, and these companies. And um, there's a lot of concern about what all those means. And so EOH's name has become involved in this because EOH owned this company uh, until October this year. EOH actually put out a statement trying to calm the markets last night, saying that we unwound the transactions of these three companies in which Keith Keating is either owner or or certainly very much involved. involved. Yeah. Uh, so um, they said that this was unwound at the end of October, um, but you know these companies were owned by EOH for a period of two years. So shareholders are obviously extremely nervous about this, mm. uh, especially in light of what we saw uh, the previous day at Steinhoff. Um, the uh, big furniture retailer where account- there was an accounting fraud and the CEO was fired, Marcus Huster. Uh, share price decimated, down 90%. Mm. Um, billions, of, billions and billions of dollars of shareholder value wiped out. Christo Visa, um, one of the country's richest men, has seen his personal fortune wiped out, basically. Um, he was a, he was a, I think he was worth something like 5 or $6 billion earlier this year. Now he's worth about less than a billion. So massive destruction. Less than a billion, yeah. sure. That's still a lot of money. It is, but, <laughs> but, but massive. But also some um, pension schemes, South African pension schemes, I believe, are in jeopardy oh, yeah. now because of the investments made. In oh, in, in jeopardy? I didn't see that. Well, well I mean... Because the value of those pensions. Be, oh yeah, I mean it affects everyone. These com- companies, you know, if you've got a, a pension fund, a retirement annuity, or any sort of investment thing that invests in the market locally, then you, you've probably had sh- you probably shares in this, in, yeah. indirectly had shares in companies like EOH and Steinhoff. Um, certainly, hmm. you would have in in Naspers, for example. Oh, yes. that's a huge chunk of the market. Yes. So, um, a lot of this forty five percent decline in the share price on Wednesday. Um, has been attributed by analysts to con- contagion related to the Steinhoff thing. People saw the Daily Maverick story. They saw what was going on in Parliament with Scopa and these companies, which EOH used to own. It wasn't known until last night that they actually don't own them anymore. Uh, so there was this massive sell-off, and many analysts said at least part of the, the thing that caused the sell-down is, is uh, contagion related to Steinhoff. Mm-hmm. So um, I was expecting the EOH share price to bounce up this morning, um, but it didn't. It promptly fell by another 40%. Wow, this uh, is ridiculous. Um, it collapsed all the way down to, let me have a look here, 26 rand 55. Now, this is a share that at the beginning of the year was trading at over 160, 160 rand a share, so down to 26 rand. Hmm. Um, that's, that's, about, I mean, that's more than 90% of its value, if my maths is right, or close to 90% of its value. Would it be a good time to buy now? If you were to speculate, and if the company is innocent, 
I don't know. There's still a lot of still questions like that a, need to be answered. It's a risky move, I guess. On, in you know, in theory, looking at the numbers that they reported, looking at the share price, the price earnings multiple, and all the rest of it, it is insanely cheap, insanely cheap. Um, but the question is: is there, is there is there is there more stuff that's going to be coming out of the woodwork? Yeah. We don't know the answer to that yet. Um, so the share price ca- then came back up again. I see it's starting to fall again, but it came back and actually it started to trade a bit. P- Positive started to trade positively compared to yesterday's close, but it's now, now as we're recording this at top of two on a Friday afternoon, it's down seven percent. So huge swings in in, mm. in the share price. Uh, you know, I, I, I you know my with my record of share investing, I, I wouldn't uh, uh, suggest anyone listens to my advice on, on this sort of stuff. <laughs> but maybe you should do what you wouldn't plan on doing. Yes, and do, just do the opposite. Buy Bitcoin. But this is certainly not Bitcoin. <laughs> no, I was just going to say. <laughs> The other troubling aspect of the story um, is that the head of – he's a director of EOH and he's the head of the public sector business at EOH, a guy called – I might be m- mispronouncing his name – Jihan Mackay or Mackay. I think it's Mackay. Jihan Mackay um, has been dumping shares. Um, over the past two weeks, he has sold over 12 million rands worth of shares in EOH. Sure. Um, selling at around 80 rand a share or just above 80 rand a share. It's now dropped to 26 rand 55. You know, that's a massive uh, share sale for someone working in the public sector, in the public sector area where the concerns that investors have are located. Yes, yes, now he's yes. dumped over 12 million rands of share just before the share price collapse. Um, I'm not s- saying that that there's something um, untoward about this, but I just find the timing of it in- interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm sure the JSE is going to be looking into a lot of these issues. Um, I, I spoke to, um, via their spokesman, I spoke to John Burke, who's the um, issue, head of issuer, the issuer services, I think, at the JSE. And he said they'd had a conversation with EOH during the day on Thursday when the share price was tanking. And his view was that there's nothing, no reason for the JSE to intervene and suspend the share for any reason. Okay. Um, but I'm sure when you see wild swings like this, as a matter of course, the JSE would would investigate and look into some of the share trades. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not just s- simple two-digit numbers. These mm. are very high two-digit numbers that uh, the share price has dropped by. I mean, it's not natural in any normal scope no, of, of trade dealing. No, no, absolutely. This, this is completely abnormal. Um, completely abnormal. And, you know, I'm looking at the share price graph now. It's swinging up and down. It's... Uh, it's, it's unclear where this thing is going to settle, but it's, it's trading on a price historic or trailing, to use a bit of te- uh, financial jargon, a trailing price-to-earnings multiple of five at the moment. That's extremely low for a- any company, um, but uh, it's a very hard, uh, rough rule to use, but mm. you can often um, measure whether a company is undervalued or overvalued by looking at its headline earnings per share and, um, and then looking at its PE multiple against the headline earning per share growth. And those numbers, and, and this is not always the case, but sometimes, quite often, those numbers do tend to correlate. And if the, um, and I apologize to any analysts who listen to the show, listening to me butchering the subject, but uh, <laughs> um, if there's a massive disparity between the headline earnings per share growth number and the price to earnings multiple, then it, then it suggests the share is either undervalued or overvalued, but not always. Okay, okay. Yeah. But it's some guidelines. But certainly, yeah. it's some guidelines, certainly. And certainly looking at EOH's um, full year HEPs growth to July, which was 16%, and looking at its current PE multiple of five, it would suggest that EOH is massively undervalued at this price. But mm. but what's coming next? Um, you know, who knows? Is, is there more, more to come? 
So that's EOH, and I think we're going to uh, I think we're going to be um, probably talking about that again next week I somehow. Suspect. Oh yes, it's going to be around for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yo. And the other company that was in the news for all the wrong reasons over the last ten days. In fact, the story was just breaking. Well, when we were recording last week, Wednesday. Yes. Um, uh, multi-choice uh, and Nasbash. Uh, it was a multi-choice story to start with, but now it's embraced Nasbash, which is its parent company. Uh, again, a complex story. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the background because we'd be here all afternoon. But um, multi-choice has been accused, in essence, of using commercial contracts to try to influence government policy over encryption. Um, we all, we know the, the the backstory about how multi-choice doesn't want encryption. Um, argues that it's um, it, it's unfair for that to them in terms of the competitive landscape. It would be subsidising competitors, and I tend to agree with that view, even though they do effectively have a monopoly in this market. Mm. Why should the government pay for that sort of, sort of subsidy? Um, and ETV, which uh, is very much in favour of encryption and says they need it for, um, for to secure good content and uh, offer HD services with the latest Hollywood. To compete with multi-choice. To compete really, with multi-choice, yeah. exactly. Um, I've never really entirely bought that ETV argument. Um, there may be something to it, but uh, you know there is HDCP. Um, I forget what that stands for. It's not high-def copy protection. It's something else. High bandwidth something, content protection, I'm not sure. But uh, it's built into the HDMI spec, so the cables you plug from the box. Oh, yeah, so you can't rip off a, you can't a rip stream. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's but all. People should just go to torrents if they want to rip. The <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's almost like a moot point, right? Yeah. People aren't going to go through that effort. Yes, exactly. Anyway. Um, well, I suppose the, the content providers are worried that it'll make it easy for people to rip and then put it on the torrents. No, for sure, for sure. Uh, so, multi-choice. Um, there's so many angles to this, but let me let me get, let me try and summarise the salient, the salient ones. Um, so there was this agreement with the SABC for the supply of two channels: a news channel and an entertainment channel. Um, there was more to the deal, but that's the, the most important part of it. Um, this was signed in 2013. Uh, last week, the DA's Pum Van Dam leaked the minutes of a meeting, and um, she didn't really leak it because it was provided by the SABC to the Parliament for part of its inquiry into the SABC. So it was a public document already. As soon as, soon as it gets handed to Parliament, it's a public document. But this meeting took place, I think, on the 6th of June 2013 at the SABC. Present mm-hmm. were... Various, multi, uh, various SABC executives, including the um, chairwoman, the chief operating officer, Claudia Motsuaneng, uh, and uh, several executives from MultiChoice, including Nolo Letele, the chairman of MultiChoice South Africa, and Imtias Patel, the then CEO of MultiChoice South Africa, and who's now been promoted um, subsequently to, uh, to the CEO of Nasspouch's video entertainment unit, which has responsibility for the whole of multi-choice plus Showmax and some other things. Mm. So um, you'll recall, uh, you might not recall, but um, back in 2014, I did an interview and one or two other journalists did too with Nolo Letele um, in which uh, details of this, well, do details about this encryption clause that was contained. No, sorry, let me step back a bit. It emerged that uh, there was a clause in the SABC agreement. That agreement was leaked, the channel supply agreement with mm. MultiChoice. There was a clause in there that said that, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, that MultiChoice, sorry, that the SABC, in terms of this deal, may not carry any of its free-to-air channels on a terrestrial platform that uses encryption. So in other words, the commercial agreement banned them from using 
encryption on anything that they distribute to the public. Now, this is the country's public broadcaster, so if that is contained in there, encryption is dead in effect because uh, unless they break the agreement. Yeah. Um, now, multi-choice is accused of, of trying to engineer government policy, at the t- which at the time was in favour of encryption, um, through the back door. I ha- then had the meeting with Lolo Letele at Multi-Choice's offices in Randburg, where he said to me, and I wasn't the only one, other journalists attended, I think Toby Shapshak was one, and there were one or two um, other publications, I forget which ones. Uh, and at that meeting, Nolita Taylor denied to me that um, that uh, they put pressure on the SABC or that, that there was a contingent liability of the deal that this clause be included uh, for it to go ahead. I wrote the story and, and we left it there. Now, the DA publishes the minutes of the meeting from June 2016, and it's very clear from that meeting, Nolita Taylor and MTS Patel put enormous pressure on the SABC saying that, with Nolan Atele specifically stating that it is a contingent liability. In other words, the deal won't go ahead unless it is included. Um, so in other words, they said to the SABC, if you don't put the clause in encryption there, we are not going to do this deal and we're not going to pay you the 100 million rand we are offering you in terms of this agreement. So it looked at face value straight away to me like Nolan Atele lied to me. So I... So I <laughs> got hold of um, the multi-choice and asked them this question. Anyway, they came back to me and said that, um, you know, he didn't lie to me. It was part of the um, hardball negotiations that they were engaged in with uh, with the SABC. Um, so, yeah, that's his, that was his response to me. And, you know, I'm not going to argue the point, but I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave listeners and readers of the website to draw their own conclusions. Then there was so – so that's the SABC deal, and that clause was included, and um, the DA is calling for a parliamentary investigation. I think that may go ahead. The, um, the ANC chief whip, Jackson Mtembo, has given his vo- – vocalized his support for an investigation as well. So I suspect we're going to have a parliamentary probe into at least that deal and possibly a lot of the other things around it, hmm. um, at which I suspect people like MTS Patel – Claudio Mozzoneng, Nolo Latele, and possibly Chris Becker are going to be called to testify. And that's going to be fireworks, I'm sure. Um, yeah, especially riveting watching. Especially in light of um, the interviews that Chris Becker has done over the past 10 days with various radio stations in which he's been um, very in- vehement in his denial that they've done anything wrong. Uh, in fact, the word he, kept, he used on multiple radio shows was crap. He said, uh, this is all crap what people are writing about uh, Naspers. And Naspers put out a very hard-hitting statement saying people are undermining us, people are trying to cast aspersions against this organization, and it's unfair. Please stop stop from doing it. Of course, no one stopped from doing it. <laughs> um, so, so certainly not the politicians who've been um, raising this issue, Mzile van Dam and others. So then there's the deal with ANN7, which potentially is more serious. Um, they... MTS Patel said in various interviews, um, including one with the Mail and Guardian, which we published on Tech Central back, I think, in 2013 as well. It could have been 2014. I forget when that ANN7 channel actually launched. He de- denied in that interview with the Mail and Guardian that they were paying multi-choice. Sorry, they were paying ANN7 for the channel. He said it, there's no, not a cent going to ANN7. Mm. So now we've got the Gupta leaks. The, the uh, contracts have emerged. Amendments to the contract have emerged, rather. 
And it's very clear that multi-choice has not only been paying ANN7, but has been paying ANN7 a very large amount of money. Uh, certainly in terms of the fourth amendment of that contract, it suggests that uh, they made an upfront payment of 25 million rand, plus uh, paid 141 million rand a year to, to ANN7, which is more uh, than they were paying the SABC for the supply of two channels. Um, hmm. sorry, uh, SABC News and the Entertainment Channel, which I think is called SABC Encore, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, it's sort of archives of the SABC. Um, so ANN7 uh, was owned by the Guptas when these deals were done. Um, I think many people would argue that ANN7 is still owned by the Guptas, despite uh, the transaction with Mzwanye Le Manye, which was a, um, Manye rather, which was a uh, vendor finance deal, which in effect means that the Guptas financed the acquisition for Jimmy Manyi. Um, so uh, it raises questions about whether Mzwanele Manyi actually owns it or whether the Guptas own it still. Um, so, yeah, there was these payments. And uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to the story. Uh, Clarissa Mack, who's a former um, regulatory executive of Multichoice, um, was found to be lobbying Faith Mutambi, the Minister of Communications on Encryption, and then Faith Mutambi, according to the emails, was forwarding the Gupta leaks, was forwarding the mail straight to the um, Gupta, members of the Gupta family. That doesn't uh, implicate multi-choice at all because it's normal to lobby ministers and this is the sort yeah, of thing yeah. they would be doing. Um, it's scandalous that Faith Mutambi was forwarding these emails to the Guptas. Um, I mean, that was just unacceptable. Um, yeah, I mean, how... But but not surprising, right? <laughs> now, now that we see that for what it is, we, we can, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so the question is, were, were these large payments made to ANN7? Was the, the, um, were the payments increased to ANN7 to try and influence government policy through the Guptas? Because multi-choice must have known that the Guptas were close to Faith Mutambi, exerted significant influence over government. So do you make large payments which at face value, don't seem to justify it, given how tiny ANN7 was and the fact that very few people yeah. actually watched the channel. Um, what were they doing? Why were they making such massive payments, bigger than the payments they made to the SABC, to a tiny little unprofessional, I mean, we can call oh, it yes, that, yeah, very yeah, unprofessional news channel called ANN7, owned by a family, um, uh, you know, where, where there were already huge questions being asked about various matters, even back then. Um, were they doing it because they felt that they could somehow influence their position on encryption through those payments. Now we don't know that. We don't know that at all. Um, it may have been, it may have been completely justified. I don't know. It looks, mm. it looks odd. The numbers look odd, um, at at face value. And I think these are the sort of questions. And I think we need a parliamentary inquiry because there's so many questions yeah. here, and it needs to be aired and it needs to come out. MultiChoice um, said that they're going to. Um, well, first of all, Naspash CEO Bob van Dyke, who took over from Chris Becker, said um, they're going to leave it to MultiChoice to the MultiChoice board to deal with this issue. Um, and he kind of washed his hands of, of it. Um, he did an interview. I think his first interview was with Bruce Woodfield on 702. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was with uh, Rick van Niekerk from MoneyWeb. And um, he kind of washed his hands of it. And I wrote a piece uh, on the whole situation saying, you can't do this. I mean, this is... Um, this is impacting Naspers. It impacts Naspers reputationally. And besides, Bob Van Dyke, you sit on the board of MultiChoice. Are you supposed to investigate yourself here? Um, you know, uh, uh, many of the people who are um, involved in this, implicated in this, if you like, mm. um, sit on the MultiChoice board. People like Nola Letele and MTS Patel, who were 
party to those negotiations uh, with the SABC and would have, would have been party as well with to the negotiations with ANN7. So I think the... Um, I think that even if multi-choices board can conduct an independent um, study, and maybe they can, they've appointed a non-exec, independent non-executive director to do the investigation. The problem is people won't trust the outcome because it's an internal investigation. It's an mm. investigation commissioned by the board of multi-choice. I think SAP did very well when they were accused of all this graft and corruption. They uh, appointed an external independent law firm to do the mm. investigation. Um, they had their own internal investigation as well, but they also appointed an external um, uh, law firm to look into it. And I think Nuspat has missed a trick here. Um, I, I think yeah. I think Chris Becker came across as very arrogant in those radio interviews. Um, it was, you know, how dare you accuse us? I, this is the impression I got. It was how dare you accuse us? We haven't done anything wrong. Um, we haven't done anything Ill- illegal. And it's, mm. it may mm. very well be that they haven't done anything illegal. It's quite possible they haven't done anything illegal. But looking at all of this stuff and the way the multi-choice behaved through this whole fight over encryption, they certainly played dirty. And I would suggest that they crossed an ethical line, yeah. if yeah. not, w- w- you know, pro- probably multiple times on various issues. Um, I think the person who's actually come out of this looking quite good is Yunus Karim, a former communications minister, I think who's been um, delighting a bit in some of the radio interviews that he's been doing around this issue because um, he he came under enormous pressure from Multi-Choice at the time. You recall that Multi-Choice took out a full-page ad in Sunday newspapers attacking him over his position on encryption. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary thing for a company to do, to take out a full-page ad in a Sunday newspaper to attack a government minister. Um, I couldn't believe it when I saw it at the time. Um, I suspect they probably regret doing that. Um, you know, it was it was signed by Imtiaz Patel. I think Imtiaz Patel's signature was on it, and some other small players who were um, supporting multi-choice on the encryption <coughs> b- battle. I strongly suspect that that ad was signed off by Chris Becker as well. Um, I don't think they would have done something. They almost yeah, certainly wouldn't have done move. something without without Chris Becker's backing. So Chris Becker is intimately involved in all of this stuff as well. So I think a parliamentary probe uh, is probably the best the best way of getting to the bottom of everything that's happened here because there's a lot of dirty laundry that needs to be aired. Um, a lot of dirty laundry that needs to be aired. aired. And um, even if multi-choice hasn't broken the law, I, I think it... it it, it is. It does need to account for um, s- the way it's behaved on, on yeah. some of these issues. It's certainly it, played a part. It's certainly this. played very. It's at the least, it's played extremely hardball, um, and probably taken advantage of a um, of a government that didn't really know what it was doing um, mm. until they came up against quite a formidable cabinet minister in the form of Yunus Karim who thought for himself. I don't think Yunus Karim made the right conclusion in the end, by the way. I think that, um, and I think also that multi-choice is right about encryption, um, but possibly for the wrong reasons. Uh, encryption, I don't think makes sense for, for South Africa. Um, uh, but, you know, do you, why did they play so hardball? Um, you know, they, they say they were fighting fighting this because it didn't make sense for South Africa. Were they really fighting it because uh, it wasn't in their commercial interests for there to be encryption. Um, well, they definitely have more to gain. That's without a doubt. I mean, why, <clears throat> why would a company be involved with this mm. on such a level if it doesn't have significant gains um, to get from it? You know. Yeah. 
So there's lots more to the story, um, but I, I, you know, I've spoken in some detail about it already. So let's um, I should probably leave, leave that one there. Uh, it's going to run for a while, but It'll yeah, a multi, while, a parliamentary investigation sounds like a fantastic idea to me. Uh, get these guys to testify. Let's get the full story. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, I need a sip of beer, and we need to take an ad break. So we'll be back right after this. Bitco is revolutionising the way businesses connect. We're taking on your connectivity challenges and shooting our high-speed fibre internet across the country. Not just for some, but for everyone. Fibre is not a luxury, but a necessity. For business, for life, for you. And being connected is everything. So network with a Tier 1 internet provider and take your business to the next level of connectivity. Bitco.co.za. Connectivity is everything. Honey, why can't I download any more series? Dad, my game just bombed. Daddy, I was speaking to Kevin and my cord just cut out. With uncapped Vox Fiber to the home, reaching your cap is a thing of the past. You can have all your devices connected all the time. Get unlimited browsing, unlimited calling, and unlimited entertainment. Vox Fiber, now uncapped. T's and C's apply. For more information, visit vox.co.za. Welcome back to the podcast, episode 200. How's it, Rechat? How's it, Duncan? 200 indeed. Do you believe it? Yeah, right? incredible. How's your beer going down? Yeah, this is still one of the best beers it's in the country. Stunning, stunning. In case you uh, missed it at the beginning, Agar's Brewery Warrior Double IPA. Fantastic stuff. Brewed right down the road in Kai Sands. And if you ever get the opportunity to go to the brewery, it is well worth it. They often have open days. You can oh, drink nice. beer with a brewer and just chat to like-minded beer drinkers. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Very nice stuff, yeah. So, um... Staying on politics, I suppose, uh, the Electronic Communications Amendment Bill is drawing all sorts of fire. Uh, again, I'm not going, to, um, I'm not going to, to rehash all of this stuff because we have spoken about it extensively in the past. Mm. But basically, the Electronic Communications Amendment Bill is, um, is, is an amendment to the Electronic Communications Act, which is going to bring very significant changes to the governance of the ICT sector in South Africa. It proposes the introduction of a wholesale open access network, um, makes significant changes to spectrum policy and various other things, but it's been roundly condemned. Um, although I, I see the Internet Service Providers are the Insulin Internet Service Providers Association is, is generally supportive of it. Mm, mm. Uh, the rest of the industry um, has has been fairly critical, particularly Vodacom and MTN um, and the Free Market Foundation. I went to a presentation by Leon Lowe, who's the executive director of the Free Market Foundation, um, and they they. They're, do, get, they're on this subject um, like a hot rash, if you like. Um, they condemning it, basically calling the government duplicitous in its dealings with the industry, mm. saying that um, saying that they've they've reneged on the agreement of a, of a hybrid model, which was like a kind of a middle road that the government and and the operators had hoped to, or certainly the operators had hoped to forge. Uh, the Electronic Communication Amendment Bill still talks about the possibility of taking away spectrum from operators that they use to build their 2G, 3G, and 4G networks. It also says that the um, the operators will not be able to roll out any spectrum that they might happen to be allocated until the WOAN, the Wholesale Open Access Network, is operational or functional. I think the word was in the in the Electronic Communications Amendment Bill. The government's pushing ahead hard with this. Um, to me, it looks like a fundamental mistake that, that's oh, yeah. going to do enormous damage to the industry. Um, certainly, it's it's a view that Leon Lowe at the Free Market Foundation shares, and and, and I think the operators privately are absolutely horrified about this mm-hmm. this bill. 
The Department of Telecommunications and Postal Services is, has called a press conference for next Tuesday to talk about it. It's being held, interestingly enough, at Citibank in Santon, um, uh, which I thought was, was really interesting because it's, the, it's an odd place for, 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 for a left-wing government to be talking about a policy uh, issue in the seat of capitalism in the middle of Santon. Um, but yeah, there we go. It's happening next Tuesday. Uh, industry very upset about this thing. The deadline was the 17th of December to comment on it. They've now extended that to the 31st of January, which is still not a lot, a lot of time to comment on a very important piece of legislation or prospective legislation. But um, yeah, it's going to be a huge bun fight, I suspect. And if the ECA amendment bill goes through in its current form, then I think this whole thing is going to court. Yeah. So, let's talk about more fun things. Yeah, let's get to the tech, yeah. to these depressing <laughs> politics. We've had too much of that this year anyway. So, uh, yeah. um, You've had a look at this story record. I've only looked at it tangentially. But mm. uh, Qualcomm announced in Hawaii, of all places, last week. Mm. In fact, I was invited to go on that trip and I had to turn it down. I was really, really oh, grieved. that's terrible, Duncan. But uh, Dang. a week on the wrong, on the exact opposite side of the earth would not have done much good for my productivity. Yeah, and the travel time there is horrendous. Horrendous, horrendous. horrendous yeah. So, so Qualcomm definitely seems to be doing some really interesting things. Yeah. And for the first time, we're seeing a chipset manufacturer really taking on the big players, you know, the likes of Intel. And I think they're onto something here. I mean, we've seen what what mobile architectures have done to smartphones. I mean, we don't have Intel smartphones these days for a reason. You know, Qualcomm has really um, been one of the companies that developed the chipsets that, you know, that these devices need to run on. Battery life, uh, LTE modem chipsets, Wi-Fi, and all, and all the good stuff that, you know, we've come to learn and love from uh, our smartphones these days. But it makes sense for them to take the technology and say, what can we, what else can we do with it? I mean, we're getting to a point with our smartphones and in many, arguably, with our computers as well, where the speed of your computer is good enough, the, mm. the processing power is good enough, the RAM, the memory, all these things. You can do so many things with a, a decent mid-range to high computer these days. But there's still a gap for, I mean, obviously, we still have massive battery issues. We're not getting the battery life that we all desperately want from a notebook computer, which you know, we want at least a few days or, you know, more than... Or at least a full thought. day. Yeah, yeah, at least a full mm. day. Now, Qualcomm, now Qualcomm obviously is, has been l- doing a lot of thinking around this technology and how they can, you know, how can they can bring it out. Now, with the Qualcomm 835 that was uh, launched last year, I think it was, it's now available in the S8, those range of phones, high-end... It's the 835. The 835, yeah. yeah. Um, now, they've already developed the 835 processor in a platform, a notebook platform that can run Windows, Um Surprisingly efficient. It's an ARM processor, right? ARM architecture processor. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. Um, <clears throat> using obviously emulators to do so. So you do lose maybe a fraction of performance power through that. Is it under emulation? I thought Windows was available native on. Native ARM. on? Oh, from, from what I've read, is there is definitely some emulation going on on that. Oh, right. Ch- uh, on that chip. But, okay. um, sorry. Um, but the end result here is is a notebook computer that essentially runs like your smartphone. So think of your smartphone with a much bigger screen with a keyboard. Um, in many ways, like you would expect an iPad-like computer to be, which is a very strong mobile device, you know, with the capabilities of a notebook. Um, so the 835 up till now has been the chipset to get, but now Qualcomm has launched or announced um, at this event the 845, which is now the next iteration. And by all... Um, by you know, by looking at it, you know, this is certainly going to be the one that's going to make this 
a, a viable solution for many road warriors who want the battery life. Is that the processor they're actually putting into the PCs? Well, the H35 is currently available into a PC. You can get a Acer or HP. I think they've got notebooks. Oh, wow. uh, Lenovo's also got one, I think, um, that runs on this architecture. But the 845 is the one you probably want to hold off for the 845 rather than getting something on the current um, technology. And 845 will be the processor that gets used in the Galaxy S9. In yes, yes, yeah. and all the I mean, yeah, the high-end smartphones these yeah. days. I mean, it's got it's got a couple of benefits in terms of LTE as well. So now again, um, imagine Qualcomm-based notebook with the eSIM built in. Mm. Th- their dream of having you connected all the time using their chipset obviously is now one step close to reality, and it makes it a much a much more lucrative, I guess. A concept for for notebook users. Um, some of the other things that's interesting about the Qualcomm. So, so in essence, I mean, the fact that Qualcomm is now taking on the likes of Intel, producing real hardware for people to do their day-to-day computing. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me, and I think they're going to do very well. If I was Intel, I'd be a bit worried because Intel, up until now, as good as what their processors are, they haven't cracked that that um, performance battery life. Um, uh, benchmark, you know, they just haven't managed to do it properly the mm. way that we would expect them to. So with the Qualcomm 845, I think we're going to see we're going to see the first iteration of you know all day performing computers, all day performance computers. Now the 845 also has a few other interesting things up its sleeve, and one of them is a security chip. <coughs> Sorry. Now I don't know if you if, if if you don't understand how this architecture works. Let me quickly give you a rundown. Sure. These aren't these aren't a traditional CPU like you would expect your Intel CPU on your motherboard to be. It's it's a collection of chips um, um, that form this that form part of this this processor that you have in your phone. Now, one of the things that they're touting as one of the big features is a security chip um, that'll handle all your security related. Um, processing needs uh, on your operating system. So if anything from your fingerprint reader to encrypting files, um, this dedicated chip um, will handle that directly, which I think is is fantastic. Um, let me just open that. Sorry, I've closed my link here. 4K video is another massive thing. Um, we know 4K, obviously, in, in high-end video cameras is, is one thing, but on your phone, having... You know, 4K at 60 frames per second is virtually non-existent because of the chip's capability to to process that amount of data coming through that uh, image sensor. So with that, obviously, we'll see uh, not only better video quality on your smartphones, but we were talking about this before the show. This will also help a lot with processing 4K footage. So now all of a sudden, if I've got a Qualcomm-based notebook, I'm not saying it'll outperform a a high-end Intel processor notebook because these two are still playing on different level uh, playing fields. But with a chip optimized for this processing capabilities, uh, processing using Adobe Premiere Pro, for example, you'd probably find render times being much quicker. Um, and, it, and it would be a good thing for people that just want to cut, for example, short clips together. They also talk about machine learning, which is going to be quite interesting. And we've seen this with the likes um, of Huawei with the, I can't remember what it was called, the uh, artificial intelligence chip. Yes. Um, they have this chip. Now, essentially, that's also just a separate processor that's designed to just handle dedicated functions. So instead of burdening the, the main processing power or some of the other units with you know, offloading this, this, uh, the processing requirements, these chips are designed to handle it, dedicate it, handle it, and, and offer better performance in so doing. And then obviously there's going to be inform, in, uh, improvement in performance uh, in graphics and Wi-Fi, which is going to be a big thing, obviously much faster LTE speeds. And like I said, with a dedicated eSIM mm. in a notebook, um, you'll be able to have always on connectivity without your notebook being always on. So when you open it, 
data would have been downloaded. So you, you're kind of moving away from the limitations that we have with Wi-Fi and notebooks. Mm-hmm. So you'll have the smartphone experience um, on a notebook. And yeah, from from what I've seen, you know, this is going to be a technology to look out for, without a doubt. Yeah, it looks um, pretty cool. So it's Asus and HP that uh, have um, built the first notebooks using uh, Qualcomm processors. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll see them in the South African market in the not-too-distant future so we I'm can sure have we'll a look see at them. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the first, uh, on the 845, I think they will, they will st- uh, international launch dates are first quarter next year. So I would imagine mid to end next year we'll start seeing 845-based yeah. chipsets uh, available yes. on, on notebooks. Yeah. I wonder why Qualcomm might be launching the 845 in the early part of the year. Uh, just in time for Mobile World Congress. <laughs> oh, yeah, just in time. And, and I'm sure they've ceded this to all the manufacturers already. And of they need to take on this this AI. I mean, this this is the big thing yeah. that we're dealing with at yeah. the moment. AI. But yeah. I'm very excited about the fact that, you know, you know, we were also, when we talk about battery life, we were always trying to get better batteries. But that was only one part of it. Mm. Getting your computer to perform using as little power as possible yeah. is the key. Um, so yeah, exciting things from Qualcomm. I'm definitely cool. going to keep in I'm going to go read more on that this weekend. I've been so busy with EOH and multi-choice and other things that I didn't actually have a chance to look in in detail, but it's quite exciting stuff. And yeah, there's some to good reading. technical articles yeah. out there as well. Mm. well worth mm. reading. I've been reading a magazine, by the way, a British magazine called Maximum PC. I don't know if you've come across oh, it. Oh, that used to be my favorite very magazine good. back in the day. I didn't know they were still around. Yeah, very good. Some excellent technical articles, and you can buy it on, on um, you subscribe to it on, on, on iPad. In is it the, internet, the US version or the UK? Is UK. It the UK? It's a UK magazine, I think. Published by Future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It yeah. is Future. Yeah, it's it's a uh, very, mag- very good magazine. The, the, the editors really know what they're talking about, and they go deep dive into processor architectures and all that sort of stuff, which I used to follow very closely 20 years ago, but have kind of lost interest as I focus more on business and politics yeah. and all the other sort of yeah. stuff. But it's amazing to see those debates. And some of the arguments that you read about in there now are so similar to what was they were arguing about 20 years ago. Exactly. It's just the architecture that changes or the chips that changes yeah. that you talk about. You know, it's, it's never just, enough. <laughs> it's just that they're hundreds of times powerful than they were back then. Thou- not thousands of times more powerful. And uh, some of the stuff you can, some of the stuff that these high-end um, gaming geeks are doing um, are, is quite amazing. Quite amazing. But yeah, if, you wanna, if you wanna, really want to geek out on some serious hardcore uh, tech, uh, Maximum PC is very good. Yeah, I second that. Right. Um, what were we? What were we talking about? Qualcomm. Oh, that's the news, right? <laughs> that's not our regular, regular features. Not our regular features, as Monty Python might say. Um, I, I thought I'd pick Yunus Karim as our winner this week because he really, in this fight with multi-choice, he really has emerged quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I think he had a very difficult time when he was the minister. He was trying to craft a middle way between the warring parties. He didn't really succeed. I think pr- probably because that solution he came up with wasn't really workable. But um, you know, he's. I think he's been delighting a bit in 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 multi-choice taking a bit of a punch this week and fair enough to him I mean multi-choice really played hardcore with him those ads in the Sunday Times and elsewhere were really unfair I thought uh, uncalled for Um, and uh, he's um, I think he's emerged very well out of out of uh, the reportage this week on uh, multi-choice and and ETV and encryption and all the rest of it he's uh, come across very reasonably um, and I've got no doubt he's enjoying himself. <laughs> uh, so winner this week, Yunus Karim, and our loser this week is quite obvious, uh, EOH. Oh, yeah. um, I think I'm going to pick on them because they're just so bad at communicating. Um, you know, the, the, the share price tanked. They didn't say anything all day. Um, getting hold of, trying to get someone to communicate with me was almost impossible. Eventually, I actually did manage to speak to someone after 5 o'clock after the markets closed. Mm. Um, but you know, even the sense statement they issued yesterday, trying to settle the markets, was 
was very very um, what's the word short um, it was it was uh, too short I thought yeah. in light of what was going on they needed to provide a bit more clarity uh, and I think the the executive management team needs to make themselves more available mm. um, certainly to the media um, I, th- I think the, the company needs to needs to rethink the way it communicates with the market um, because it has not been doing a good job of it. And that's very much as clear, uh, it is patently clear after this week in the collapse in the share price. The share price collapsed because there was a lack of information in the market about what was going on. Yeah. And the company was generally unavailable to, com- to, to con- comment on, on developments. And that's a big business. You shouldn't be running your communication department no. like that. No. And you, we're, dealing, we're talking about millions and billions of dollars effectively being wiped away, wiped off the face of the earth because of this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you need to talk about it. You need yeah. to they talk need a, to the people. Uh, then, then they need to appoint someone in a senior role, communications role at the company, to deal with the press. And they don't have that at the moment. Not internally, anyway. Right. Um, I'm, I think I've had too much of this IPA. <laughs> you only have one. <laughs> only one. One large just, one. Just goes to show how really good this beer is. It is lovely, yeah. Yeah. It's a very, um, it's not a fast drinking beer. It's a, mm-hmm. a beer you savor slowly. I can tell you to you from experience, this is very sessionable, mm-hmm. sessionable <laughs> on the right day. Yeah, sessionable as in what too? <laughs> sessionable, yeah. <laughs> sessionable. Right, um, let's, uh, where am I? I really am this beer. We are on picks of the year right now. Picks of the year. Thanks, Rehat. Um So what's your... So I did think long and hard about this. There was a lot of stuff that I could have thrown out there. And I do have a lot of favorites of the year. And, and, I th- and I've spoken about most of them on a podcast before. But I thought the one that I'm going to pick, it's not only because I'm incredibly excited about this technology, but because it's finally developed in South Africa. And I, I actually haven't found anybody that doesn't like the concept of this technology. And my pick is the HTC Vive just because it's finally here. It's giving us the dream of augmented reality or, or, or virtual reality. Um, I wouldn't say it's affordable yet, but it's accessible. Um, and many tech people in the industry, if you've been to the likes of Rage, uh, you know, some of the new shows, you would have seen it. They would have tried it. Um, so, yeah, HTC Vive is my pick. I'm very excited about it. I'm getting my demo unit next week so we should be Ooh. able to do some proper game time in the next two weeks um, but yeah i'm picking that because what a technology and it's available right now please bring it to our podcast recording next week if you have it because uh, yes yes we will i'll, I'll if, if i've got it I will we're it. trying to re- arrange a special podcast for next week no details yet because i don't want to jinx it but uh, if you've got it please bring it along to that that recording it would actually complement the, the topic it would, it would indeed so my, my pick is it's actually two apps that have been around for a couple of years now, but um, I am finding them increasingly useful. In fact, I'm using them on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. And that's <laughs> Zapper, yes. uh, which is developed, I think, by a Durban-based company called Derivco. I could be mistaken there, but I think they're developed by Derivco. And Snapscan, which uh, came, comes out of Cape Town, Stellenbosch, I think, uh, and has an um, investment or a partnership, may even be owned by, I'm not sure, I think it's completely owned by, but certainly they've got an arrangement with Standard Bank. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, they're brilliant. Zapper in particular, I use all the time uh, because just because of, you know most restaurants um, support Zapper. It's got Zapper. into the PoE system, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of integrated on the slip. Yeah, it's brilliant. brilliant. It's brilliant. I've seen and a lot of people do both as well. So I've a lot of places have both on the oh, system. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, almost just about in every restaurant I go to now, little bill arrives, zapper, zap that. I was I walked into um, 
I walked into a convenience um, filling station um, on William Nickel the other day, mm-hmm. and I wanted to buy a sandwich because I was hungry on my way to a meeting. And on the little screen there, it said, pay with Zappa. So I scanned the screen, the little barcode on the screen, paid with Zappa, walked out. That's fantastic. And it's, yeah. it's, it's becoming more, more and more ubiquitous. Uh, and I think that, I mean, I'd love to pay with Zappa at Pick and Pay mm. if I could. I mean, anyway, I, I don't really. have to haul out my credit card, type in a PIN number and all the rest of it. I just scan with my phone. Then I don't have to take my wallet with me. Yeah. I mean, if most yeah. places accepted these things, and more and more of them are accepting it, then you don't have to actually carry your wallet with you anymore. And especially at, uh, I mean, you, you often do runs and go to trail running events and yeah. things like that. Having something like this there where before you had to have cash, and who mm. remembers to have cash, and you don't run with your cash, and you don't have it. With something like this, literally, the, the merchant just have a little tag, and then you yeah. just can't pay them the amount you want. It works brilliantly at flea markets as well. Uh, the technology is fantastic. And, and, the, and the merchants don't have to ha- handle cash. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I've seen uh, there's a flea market event in, in, in Pretoria happening, I think, this weekend or next weekend. Where they say, where they banned cash. They said, we do not accept cash for security reasons. Come Just and scan. And you, yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. What I do worry about, though, and as much as I love Zap and Snapscan, as soon as true contactless payments come out here with phone, mm. you know, give, it, give it maybe two or three years, these guys are going to have a bit of a harder time because they've yeah. filled a very nice gap in the right time. Um, although I guess you can argue that a lot of these small merchants like flea markets, they, won't we won't really have contactless. Have, they would have a piece of paper that says scan mm. my code. So the overlap will probably be there. But... Yeah, one of my favorite technologies. I hate handing over my card. If I can just use this pay, I'm in control of that transaction every step of the Mm. way. I use tap and go several times a day as well. Pick and pay, I always tap and go. You see, I've only started using that because my new cards, I mean, now my new cards have that functionality on. Um, But a lot of guys, uh, not a lot of guys that I've been to can tap. Yeah. So maybe it's just about the the merchant. Yeah. Yeah, no, some merchants accept, some don't. Uh, My local uh, spa... um, got the machines that um, accepted uh, tap and pay and I tapped my card and said sorry not rejected and so I asked the manager why 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 can't I do this and he said oh no people are worried about it they don't want to tap they're worried about the security so I said nonsense absolute nonsense and every time I went in there I said why can't I tap yet what like why can't I tap Mm, every time I went mm. to make a purchase and then last week I walked in and and they got a little sign there saying you can now tap (laughs) and pay at this full point No, I think, I mean, that's the way to do it. it, 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 it having, having the ability to just tap and pay, I mean, obviously for small amounts, for bigger amounts, I would love to know that I put in a pin and have that extra level yes. of security. But it's just a matter of the rollout. We need the rollout much quicker now. Um, and the banks and merchants just need to, I guess, it's acceptance from the general public. Mm. But a lot of companies now, just to sidetrack a bit, I've seen a lot of uh, retail shops now. Also, instead of you putting your card in, uh, instead of them putting the card in, you, you deal with the terminal. So mm. you put your card in, put in the pin, take your card out. Because I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of an OCD freak when it comes to my card being in so many people's hands. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's, it's, Me too. It's, it's, I hate that. Yeah. I hate giving my card out to somebody to to work with mm. um, because of you know just I guess general hygiene and you know that machine that card goes everywhere with you. Yes. You know, a lot of people can handle it in any given day. But yeah, yeah. Step in, zap scan. What I haven't <laughs> tried yet. What I haven't tried yet um, is to pay with my phone because I, I believe you can tap and pay with your phone as well using the. Um, I don't think that is available yet because a card obviously that's a direct thing from your bank. So that chip on that card and the terminal. The, I haven't seen anything, even the, though. It's oh, well, I'm an FMB customer, and the FMB app claims you can do it. Oh, the FMB app. Yeah, yeah. I see. That's still. Uh, so yeah. fire up the phone, tap the phone, uses the phone's NFC, NFC, and then you make the payment through the app. I haven't, okay. tr- I haven't. I'm not quite That'll sure what it actually looks like. But it should work on the same terminal as your card, then, right? It should. It should. I, I believe that it works. I haven't tried it, mm. but I believe I can tap my phone at a p- pick and pay point of sale and pay. I'll well, try it next cool. time I'm there. That'll be cool. Mm. Yeah. 
Ja, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little homework. Because the then with, with, with Snapscan and Zapper and, and tap and pay with your smartphone, you really don't need to take your wallet with you. You don't need to, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Fantastic. I don't know who's going to pay the car guard, though. <laughs> <laughs> he well, needs to get some a car guards have had a uh, scan. scan. I mean, that's mm. the best thing. Yeah. Scan the guy and give him five rand or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or scan and say you're going to pay. No, you can't do that, Shane. <laughs> you're going to pay him and then drive off. But, <laughs> the, um, but yeah, that would make sense, actually. Uh, if I was one of those guys, I'd probably get a little snap scan thing. Paying zap and yeah, probably make yeah. more money. And, and you pay a lot less than a credit card, I'm sure. Must be. Must There's be no less. charge to you. Uh, no, I'm talking about it as the merchant, don't they pay? Oh, for right. They pay for. Yeah, there they would be. A they fee. would need a bank account. They would yeah, need a no, that's true. That's true. That's true. That's very true. Um, I think you can pay with Snapscan. I think you pay for parking in Cape Town with Snapscan. There was a trial up here as well. Yeah. The same guys. They did it in Joburg City Centre. I, I haven't seen them since. Oh. They had like big blue overalls yeah. on. And but that's a Cape Town thing. That money's not going to the, the guy guarding your car. It's going to... It's going to the city of Cape Town, I presume. Probably, yeah. Because, oh. I mean, it'll be like paying for mm. street parking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Joburg, I didn't even know Joburg had any street parking left. Yeah, two years yeah. ago, I may have written a story about it, uh, where they did a trial out here at the Mabinang Precinct. Okay. Um, okay. But, yeah, I haven't seen it since. I don't think, I don't think it worked. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll have to see. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our show, apart from our quiz results. Um, let's let's do those, shall we? Yes. The first question. Qualcomm this week took the wraps off its new high-end processor for smartphones and soon also desktop uh, notebooks, which includes AI functionality. What is that chip called? And the answer there is the Snapdragon 845. Interested parties have been given a new deadline to comment on the contentious Electronic Communications Amendment Bill. What is the new deadline? And that is the 31st of January 2018, which is just around the corner. Just around the corner, yeah. Can you believe it? The third question. Which U.S. law firm is threatening to launch a probe into multi-choices controversial channel supply agreement with ANN7? And the answer there is Pomerantz. Fourth question. Uh, my favorite question in the quiz this week. <laughs> what does Elon Musk plan to launch with the first test of the Falcon Heavy rocket next month? And for a bonus point, what music will be playing on board? And uh, that is a Tesla Roadster. What a waste if it blows up. <laughs> and David Bowie's Space Oddity. I put that down as my thing of 2017. That's <laughs> just awesome. <laughs> and the last question in this week's quiz. Travel Start this week bought which Cape Town-based online travel company? And the answer is Safari Now. And that is our quiz for this week. I almost uh, lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'd blame this, uh, this wonderful um, warrior yeah, double IPA. Yeah. Mm. I might have another one. Let's go for another one after this. Sounds like a good idea. Sounds like a good idea. It's Friday afternoon, and uh, I think if I try and edit the podcast after having this, uh, I might uh, make some very big mistakes. <laughs> uh, we, we, might, we might have uh, an incident with um, uh, Star Trek and some uh, <laughs> foul language or something. Proper incident. <laughs> I was trying to, trying to get YouTube up uh, to play a little bit of David Bowie, Bowie but um, it's running very slowly. Here. Right. Um, let me go back to my show notes. I am really dear Marco today. <laughs> show notes. And um, 
that's our show. Yeah, as always, uh, if you've got any feedback, info at techcentral.co.za is our email address. We'd love to hear from you and we read all of your messages. So uh, as for episode 200, we look forward to hundreds more. Breaking uh, the seal on 201. 201 next <laughs> week <laughs> and possibly our last of the year. Uh, we might do two more, but probably just one more, actually. We really are heading up into it now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can st- definitely try and squeeze one in maybe before the end of uh, the year. Yeah. But... Uh, Yes, I'll definitely do another the best in tech. I've got two, two lined up. You've got two of those. Yeah, great, I great. want to try and. To, I wouldn't say what they are. They are going to be good ones. So keep an eye out on them. There might be some Xbox involved. <laughs> great stuff. Great. Oh, of course, the Xbox One yeah. X is uh, just around the corner. So I'm guessing what that one might be about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of buying one of those. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I need it though. I don't have a 4K TV. You're just future proofing yourself because I was. I was close to buying the Xbox One X, oh, Xbox One, the older model, because they were all going for really good prices, obviously in anticipation of the new launch. If you don't have, if you don't worry about 4K, then it's definitely worth getting one of the older ones. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if you want to future-proof yourself, make sure you've got the latest one. But I am thinking of buying a new PC next year, so maybe I should save for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll put you in contact with some guys. I'm also building myself a new... For the first time in years, I'm going to go back to a good old PC rig to oh, do nice. some testing and benchmarking. Nothing beats it. Yeah. Nothing beats it. So I'm going to have an open rig that we can just slot stuff into and test nice. and see. Nice. So, yeah. Now, I'm going to – I've never – I mean, I've always just bought a PC and ordered some components. But this next year, I plan to actually spend custom the time bit. doing the research and custom building a proper rig right from the case – Let's, let's do something on that. Let's record it because I, I'm also busy with that kind of thing. I think mm. we can make a nice series for people who want to also do something similar. I mean, that, it, it's, it's still a price exercise, but that's why you want to get the right components. And you don't always need to go for the most extreme yeah. version of something. I mean, a Core i7 basic version is much better than a Core i9, in my opinion. And I wouldn't so, go for a Core i9. Yeah, the prices of those are insane. But uh, maybe we can invite our friend uh, Dimitri. Um, from uh, Mustek to join us, and uh, he's yeah. a real expert on the subject, so maybe he can uh, provide us with some some views and inputs. And uh, nice. I'm, nice. I'm probably going to work with Dimitri actually to build my machine. So cool, looking yeah, forward to it. it. Yeah, let's do it. proper project. Which is why I was reading Maximum PC magazine, by the way. Oh, I love that magazine. <laughs> I love it. Right until uh, next week from Rechel and myself. Cheers. Ciao, ciao.